Hi, I'm Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gromos. And welcome to the Backpeg Daily Doha series, episode 14. And this episode, in lieu of sponsor, is brought to us by... Who would you say, Nathan? Who would you say is bringing us this episode of the Daily Doha? I'm going to say the Socceroos. Yes, it's the end of the road, but we can look back now on what's been a fantastic World Cup for Australia and for Australian football. And yes, against all expectations, the Socceroos have delivered a World Cup to remember in 2022. Great shout. So where did you want to kick off this uh, episode, Nathan? I think we have to start things off with the Australia game. Yes, six o'clock, everyone was out and about. I saw so many pictures and videos of all the live sites around Sydney and in Fed Square, of course, again, and, and at Amy Park as well. They opened that one up for a lot of people because Fed Square got pretty full very quickly. Uh, I think it was three or four hours before kickoff. They said the Fed Square is full. If you want to come out, go to Amy Park instead. It's fantastic that everyone got out to see the Socceroos, whether you're in Sydney, Melbourne, anywhere else around the country. Well done on getting out and about. Unfortunately, we didn't get the result that we're all hoping for, not expecting, but hoping for. And yes, I think overall, Laz, I can say that I'm disappointed, but proud of this team. Yeah, I I agree with you, Nathan. Disappointed today, but proud of the effort shown by this team. Um, We'll get to the football part of it later, but uh, it's an absolute joy to see football take over the country in this way, just in the national psyche for a brief period of time, because people can't tell us that this isn't a football country or a football-loving country. It is. No other team, aside from the Matildas, can unite the country the way that these two teams do and these two sporting brands do. It's just an amazing thing where where we can see that this fo- this country loves football. It is the most popular sport in terms of participation and that's our strength as a sport. So it's time that, and you know, the times for what this will mean and, you know, the post-mortem of what happened will come in coming days. But the atmosphere generated at places like Federation Square and Tumbalong Park in Sydney, I mean, and there were s- several places around Sydney for that matter, which did have live screens, which were very well populated as well this morning. At 6am in the morning, on a Sunday morning, no other team can do this. Yeah, your sentiments there about being disappointed but proud, 100%. I think that's how the nation feels today, proud. And yes, this is a podcast, but I'm still here sitting in my Socceroos shirt and same. I'm wearing a scarf and that just sums it up. It is a sense of pride that we have managed to get it, to get this far in the tournament and not only get out of the group, not only win two games, keep two clean sheets, but to get to the round of 16 against what is one of the tournament favourites and push them all the way. Yes, some of the moments on the pitch were our own undoing, but they were getting scared at the end of there and the biggest indicator is that they were time-wasting. And that's the biggest compliment for the Socceroos team that I can see out of this game, that Argentina were time-wasting at the end against Australia. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Today is a day for that kids will remember between the ages of 6 and 10, and they'll go out to their backyards at the local park and be Quoll and be Lecky and be Moy. And that just speaks volumes. That just speaks volumes. Now, it's up to Football Australia to take the ball and run with that. But like I said, that'll be, you know, there'll be a discussion on that point in days to come and, you know, in other forums. And, and we'll obviously have that discussion here in the future. But, um, yeah, let's get to the football because that was, in its own way, a dramatic match. And to your point, Argentina were, they were on the rack in the last 15 to 20 minutes. They certainly were. And that chance right at the end, oh, qual, oh, wow. Oh. I'm still thinking about it now. So that's the save of the tournament. It is. Like, I'm not saying that lightly. For mine, Emmy Martinez just proved, like, he's been doing it at Villa all season, but that is the save of the tournament at that point in time. Just incredible. Because if that had gone in, it would have gone to extra time, and Australia had would have had all the momentum. Oh, yeah. Not saying that we would have gone on to win it, obviously, but we were right in the fight at that point. 
and we had uh, one or two other chances that run from Arcee's beach. <sighs> I don't know what he was possessed by Messi's spirit or something, be- beating four players. Arcee's beach, oh, like. I, I can't. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. What a tackle by Lissandra Martinez, or like that interception there, just sliding. You know, it was when Beige hit it. He must have thought this is going in, and just out of nowhere, Martinez just with the block, and just incredible, absolutely incredible defense. That was last gasp defense as well. We had our chances. We had chances. We can't say that we didn't. And the interesting thing was the first half hour, first thirty five minutes, up until Messi scores that goal, Australia looked really good like really good to hold the result the nil all for as long as we could but geez that moment of brilliance from Messi and did Bage lose his head but I mean Bosnich and uh, Mark Bosnich and Craig Foster made a good point at the, on the SBS coverage at half time saying that you know like you cooler heads had to prevail and maybe Bage you know let Messi get under his skin or Messi just antagonize him just that little bit right in, a, in his own way and just enough to, you know, for the defensive shape, just to be out of kilter, just for that half second. And he took his chance and he took it well. And Matty Ryan couldn't see it through the legs of Suter. Yeah, that's the moment. That's that's the moment for Australia. That was the first goal, of course. And it came about how we thought it would, that they kept it on the deck and some quick passes did open us, open us up. And yes, you can perhaps point a finger at Beige for the free kick. You can perhaps point a finger at Harry Souza for going in with his legs wide open. You could perhaps point a finger at Matt Ryan because he, it, the shot wasn't right in the corner. But all in all, Messi just needs one moment of brilliance and that's what it was for him and interestingly his first ever World Cup knockout stage goal and his 1000th game in his 1000th game yes I thought that might have been a bit of an, an ominous sign that it was too perfect coming into his 1000th game a team that they're expected to beat there's a narrative there if it does go wrong but not to be and the class of the the little magician just came on through in that first half moment and really the game should have been out of sight Australia recovered well though Nathan after even after conceding the goal I didn't think they really outplayed us to the point where we thought we were getting you know where Australia was going to be really under the hammer and really stretched and you know like it may have been a matter of the Argentinians being really you know really controlled and they didn't really push us to the stage that I felt like we did against France and I think that was because Australia felt confident within the game and they were still maintaining their discipline wherever they could in defense aside you know it took two slips of concentration and they're the mistakes and though you know they were clever enough and concise enough to take those chances and uh, punish Australia. Yeah, perhaps fatigue playing a factor in those uh, moment of lapses. But I was kind of, sort of referring to those opportunities that um, Latara Martinez had. And there was a couple of bad ones in terms of a miss, uh, a couple of bad misses in there for him. And at that point, that was to make Argentina, I think, 3-1. And he had another one to make it potentially 4-1 if you count them both together. And he looks off. He does look off, doesn't he? To the flow of the game, I think if I'm trying to look at it objectively... I think Scaloni has pulled off a blinder in terms of what he set out his team to do because the biggest threat for Argentina in this match was always going to be on the break. The exact the way that we scored against Denmark and against France and to some extent against Tunisia, it is winning the ball towards our own goal and just hitting it long and finding space in behind. And the best way for the team to score against us is when we are caught out and we're not set in our middle low block, whichever phase of the game we're, we're in. And Argentina sitting off us a little bit, that opened us up a bit and that's how they were creating some of those chances and there wasn't as many bodies for them to go through to try and get a shot off. I think that, yes, you can point to that Australia were confident enough to be on the ball and retain possession, and there was good spells where we did retain possession, but up until the end, 
up until maybe 65 minutes or so, we didn't really threaten the goal. And when Australia had a lot of the ball, Argentina were comfortable. But you know what? To that point, Nathan, I think the criticism I have up until the 65th minute mark is that we weren't composed in the final third. It made a difference. Like Arnold got his uh, uh, substitution spot on though again, right? Hrustic made a difference. I just would have liked to have seen him come on at halftime because that's the composure that we were missing when we were going forward. There were some options, but not a lot. So when we were going forward, who could we play Who could we play in on goal? And that's why I was posing yesterday the scenario that do we play Hrustic from the start to give us that creativity? It kind of fell into our hands a little bit as well because Scaloni made the call at the 50th minute mark to just go five at the back, which was fascinating. Yeah, and he showed great respect to Australia in terms of taking the game seriously and not saying, oh, okay, we're tuning it up, that's it, job done. And good on him for keeping his players focused and doing the right things to see out the match. And I think Scaloni had a blinder tactically on a personal level for him. And not that he showed up, Arnold. I don't mean that he showed up, Graham Arnold, when I say that, but I was really impressed by Scaloni on the sideline. Scaloni didn't look comfortable at all at any stage during the game to think to sit back and actually you could see you know every time they were panning to him he was thinking he was looking at the game and going okay where do I need to plug in any gaps here to consolidate what we have the momentum was naturally going to come with Australia and Australia had to go forward and that's where Arnold got his substitutions spot on but it just made for fascinating viewing for the last 20 minutes as well and all this ties into my overall feeling that yes disappointing to go out but pride that we didn't look out of place on this stage and we were taken seriously by one of the tournament favourites, as we say, and given our due respect as a as a team and just overall really impressed. So hats off to the Socceroos, hats off to Graham Arnold and his team for what they've been able to achieve this tournament. And our general theme throughout this podcast series has been that this is a young Socceroos squad with a view to the next World Cup and we'll be looking to get out of the group again, whatever format they decide to go with FIFA, we'll be looking to get out of the group again and be in the knockouts for a second World Cup in a row. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, I feel for Matty Ryan, he wouldn't be in a good place today, although he did pull off some great saves after the mistake. It's unfortunate that keepers make a mistake and it's amplified because it counts on the scoreboard. And should he have just gotten rid of it and cleared his line? Yes, because he was flirting with danger like that in the first half as well. However, he's got the confidence, generally speaking, to play with his feet and... It just wasn't to be, you know, made the mistake, bad judgment. But the fact that we were able to get in on goal, you know, yes, it took a huge deflection for Goodwin's shot, but that just then created the scoreboard pressure that just drove Australia forward for, the, for the, you know, the final 15 minutes plus uh, seven minutes of injury time. And uh, Bayich and Quoll had chances for, you know, for to send the game through to extra time. And you're right, I think if the game goes to extra time, the pressure with um, Scaloni already having done the change to his formation, the momentum would just naturally would have carried with Australia, I think. Just what a moment it would have been if uh, Garan Quall was able to stick that in the back of the net. And it was so close. I, I saw a slow-mo replay after it. Emmy Martinez, he's only just got his arms to that. And it's behind him. It's behind Martinez to a degree. It's just an incredible save. It's just an incredible save. What was our highlight of the Socceroos World Cup campaign? Across the four matches, yes, on the pitch, it has to be the lucky goal that sent us through to the knockouts. But if you ask me overall about the campaign, I think it is seeing the scenes back home. It is an influence of the camp on football in this country. And it seems as though that we're back on the right path with Australian football now. And for four or five years, Australian football was on its knees in this country. And there's a lot of factors that go into that, both valid and otherwise. But at the start of this football season, 
I did start to feel a pulse with Australian football in the A-League, amplified by the recent Sydney derby, where it was a fantastic atmosphere. And then now I can say that the Australian football and the A-League is back, properly back, because people are asking, when's the A-League back? When can I go and see some games? So hopefully we are going to see a bump in ratings, a bump in attendances, a bump in interest in the game. And there's still a lot of work to do for uh, the APL and Football Australia, but there's a massive opportunity here and it seems as though we're heading down the right path again. So to answer your question, Lazarus, about my moment for the World Cup, it is the scenes that we saw at all the live sites around the country. You stole my thunder there because that was going to be my moment off, off the pitch uh, for today, but that's all right. I've got a, um, you know a couple of others that we can mention later on, and I'm glad you mentioned that because we have more than a pulse in football in this country. But it is up to all the stakeholders concerned. And look, this will make a great topic for a discussion on, on a future pod. But I think that what we need to do as a football loving public here in Australia is stop the Euro snobbery. Let's recognise where we are as a game, but also try and do our best to embrace the game and try and better the game wherever we can and have really you know and have a real meaningful engagement with with the game in order for us to do that we just got to be recognize that we're football people first we're all you know referred to as a football family and we got to love it for what it is in this country can there be improvements made absolutely do there need to be improvements made heck yeah but let's just use this momentum and not waste this opportunity this time but uh my highlight on the pitch for with regards to the Socceroos I think is the turning moment of the campaign and that's the Mitch Duke goal that's the turning point of this campaign because all the rest comes from that he got no time to think about that moment the ball was deflected so close to him and it was a hit with such pace that he really had to use his instinct and muscle memory and these sorts of things that Matt Leckie was talking about and I'm sure Craig Goodwin was thinking about as well in their own goals and it shows that they are quality footballers and yes the A-League gets a bad rap from people who don't really watch it that often. And yes, there is Euro snobbery. And when we say Euro snobbery, we're not saying you can't follow a team from Europe. Of course you can. But don't try and use that as a as a stick to beat the A-League with and say, oh, this is rubbish. Oh, nah, it's not, not as good as the Premier League, so I'm not going to bother. That's not the point. That's not why you should follow football in this country, because you're expecting it to be better. It's not the case like rugby league, where it's the best. The, the NRL is the best rugby league competition in the world, and therefore you don't have to bother with anything overseas. It's about growth. It's about development. And it's also about patriotism as well. So get behind the A-League, get behind the soccer is beyond this two-week period, get behind Australian football because there is so much improvement, there's so much room to grow and it'd be worth your while because there is good times ahead. I agree, agree. And good note to to finish the um, soccer is campaign on at this point, that's for sure. Unlike what happened in the earlier round of 16 match that took place this morning, which uh, kicked off this uh, round of 16 in this World Cup, my word. Yes, the Dutch 3-1 winners over the USA and we're talking yesterday about how this might be a trick game for Holland and wow the Americans how disappointing were they very first and foremost we'll come on to the Dutch in a second but the Americans wow they just did not turn up whatsoever and they were loose with the ball they were careless with the ball but just with the goals the defending was shocking particularly the second one that it was a carbon copy of the first goal and they didn't learn their lesson and the complete collective was to blame because it was the exact same goal the Dutch scored the same the exact same goal twice Denzel Dumfries down the right little bit of a dribble cut it back to the edge of the box and a first time finish into the bottom corner and where was the American midfield to track these runs yeah I'll tell you now outplayed outcoached strategized and with less physical effort than what the Dutch put in. Sorry, with more physical effort, I should say, than what the Dutch put into the game. The Dutch are the dark horses, based on what I saw this morning. They can only play who was in front of them. This was the best performance from the Netherlands so far at this tournament. Measured. Measured is the right word. And they didn't overextend, and that does all come back down to the manager. Louis van Gaal, he's a, a tactically astute manager. 
He knows what he's doing. And Greg Berhalter, you're right to say, was outcoached because the way the Dutch approached the game, yes, America had a fair amount of the ball, but they were just controlled. The Dutch never really looked too ragged. The Americans started really well in the first 10 minutes. But beyond that, Netherlands were the better team and they didn't look that troubled. They basically fell into a trap because what happened was their midfielders got pulled out to the side, basically leaving one midfielder in the middle there. And when the Dutch went forward, it was two on one every time. So many times during the game, the Dutch had laid pressing traps for the Americans and they fell for it every single time. It was over and over and over. The amount of passes that came into midfield from both Reem and Zimmerman into the midfield only for them to get swarmed immediately and turn the ball over was... The Americans, they just didn't learn their lesson, no matter what it was. Whether it was those pressing traps in midfield, whether it was the defending for the goals, the marking for the third goal, no one in that American defense knew where Dumfries was until the ball was in the back of the net. Non-existent. Non-existent. And to have that lack of awareness at this stage of play, right? Yes, we've said that the future does look bright for the US, but they've got some lessons to learn from there. And maybe it's a blessing in disguise for them because in four years, I think this will serve them well. That third goal, I'm glad that you mentioned that third goal because that um, at this stage of the tournament is a killer. It, it is that simple. You do, you leave someone that free, unmarked at the back peg, <laughs> there's only one result. There's only going to be one result there. And he was a danger man the entire game, Denzel Dumfries. So I don't know how he can uh, see what he did in the first half and then still decides, ah, that's all right, we don't need to mark him, don't need to worry about him. Yeah, we'll just, yeah. Yeah, we'll just leave him at the back peg there, just leave, let him you know roam around there and just graze. Just insane. And the fact that nobody's tracking him. No, you know, or nobody's actually got him in. Like nobody actually was aware of him to actually have their, have them have Dumfries in front of him, basically, right? He was just left loose completely on his own. The first goal for the Netherlands is probably the best team goal. I mean, yes, the Americans let them play to a degree as well, but the, the amount of passes that go into that goal is just a, you know, an absolute thing of beauty. And you should talk to football, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes the Dutch. Here comes the Dutch. Yeah, no, nah, look, total football, absolutely. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. That's tiki-taka the way that you should see it, right? Not just possession for the sake of having possession. Possession with purpose. That was it. Yes. Uh, yeah, it is the best team goal that I've seen in this tournament. There's been a couple throughout the group stages from some good passing moves, but just fantastic. They, they move the ball so well up the pitch, down the right, and... I'll I was overall impressed by what they delivered and it's better football than what we've seen from Holland so far at this tournament and maybe they were just sort of just getting the results they had to in the group phase. I don't know if that was the plan. It's worked. It has worked if that was what they set out to do and they got seven points on the board, they topped the group and now they've got a very tricky Argentina in the quarterfinal to come up against. What a quarterfinal this is. Yes, we're hoping for new new nations to get further down into the tournament, but Netherlands versus Argentina, 2014 semifinal, 1998 quarterfinal, 1978 World Cup final. Jesus, a lot of history, World Cup history associated with this match. Can't wait for it. Big time. Really looking forward to it. And based on what we saw this morning, I'm probably speaking with uh, orange tinted glasses, <laughs> but I would make them uh, slight favourites heading into the game based on what we saw. Yes, Argentina are fantastic and they, they'll probably rise to the occasion, but the Dutch look much more comfortable than Argentina did. Not just to be against you, Nathan. I'm going to stick with my pick of Argentina. They're my tournament pick. I'm going to stick with it. Although the Dutch present... Uh, a you know different set of problems now as well because you don't know 
how good this Dutch squad really is because they haven't really exerted themselves, which is scary. But I think Scaloni will be full of you know um, will be fully aware of that when he sees the tape on all of Netherlands games in the last uh, little while. Yes, and just before we move on, a word on Memphis as well. Getting on the score sheet, his first goal of the tournament, his his best performance so far, and it has become quite clear that he was not quite fit for the group stage. So he's getting back to his fitness, and perhaps we'll see the Memphis Depay of the last couple of years and not the one of the last couple of days. Yeah, no, I agree. So what was your um, moment of the day or your highlight of the day? So my moment away from the pitch is the scenes in the Dutch camp following their win against the USA. They put a, a short snippet out on their Twitter and... It's just it's just a party atmosphere and great scenes to see. Uh, I love Louis van Gaal at the end of that clip. He's he's got his phone out uh, recording uh, and holding it out with a straight arm, like you would expect someone of his age to do. And it's just, it's just a great watch. Don't be ageist, Nathan. No, I'm not being ageist. It's just it's just it's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. Agree with you. Yes, but it looks like a great time. They've all got little handheld uh, masks to put in front of their faces. They swapped each other around, and yeah, it looks like a party. I'm sure following that, Louis van Gaal would have told the players, "All right, enough of that. We're focusing on Argentina now." And I hope that is the case. That yes, they're in the quarterfinal, but as you mentioned, Lazarus, they are looking to be a bit of a dark horse. They've got much more in the tank, and there is an opportunity here for them to knock off. Argentina. I've got two. So obviously, the, my first uh, moment away from the pitch is the uh, the crowds uh, at the life sites around Australia, and congratulations to all concerned for actually getting that uh, done. You know, and well done to everyone that attended a live site this morning or watched it from home, and and that had been enamoured with the Socceroos during this World Cup campaign. So, so hopefully we can keep this feel good factor going for as long as we can. But something did take my eye this morning, which was quite interesting. Matthias Ginter from Germany was part of the 2014 World Cup winning squad, part of the 2018 squad, and part of the 2022 squad. Did not see one minute of tournament play during the 2014 and 2018 campaigns. Hansi Flick puts Matthias Ginter on in the 90th minute of this campaign, in tw- the 2022 campaign against Costa Rica. Yeah, I did see this. It, and there's two sides to this and how you might uh, feel about him being uh, put on with minutes to go. Yes, it's it's a nice gesture for him so he doesn't miss out on the third World Cup despite being in the squad. But also, it's a bit of a bit of a, a token. It, it's... Uh, Oh, what what's the term in American sports? No, don't be a downer. Come on. <laughs> garbage time. Garbage time is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know garbage time. There you go. Jeez, that's a bit of a put down, isn't it? It is a bit. So like essentially it's a blowout, the game's done, so they take the best players off and either put kids on or rotation options to pre- prevent injuries and that sort of thing. Yeah, gotcha. He can now say that he's played in a World Cup, but I don't know how often he's gonna bring it up because it was in a rather poor tournament for the for the German team. Does, doesn't need to bring it up, but at least let the history book show that that's actually happened. And good luck to him. And he he's done something that a lot of people aren't able to do, and that's actually step onto a World Cup pitch during a World Cup, you know, during a World Cup game, representing his country. So nobody nobody can take that away from him, Nathan. Not even you with your, <laughs> with, your with your you know with that kind of cynicism. Seriously. <laughs> nah, but all jokes aside. Congratulations to Matthias Ginter for being in a World Cup and well done to Hansi Flick for chucking him on as well. Yeah, I agree. Good on you, Nathan. 
<laughs> so let's turn our attention to tomorrow's action. And we've got two more matches from the round of 16. At 2 o'clock, we have France against Poland. And at 6, we have England against Senegal. Let's start with the 2 a.m. game. The French, the winners of Group D, up against the runners-up from Group C. Poland could very easily have been Mexico in this game. Not to be. Here we are, France against Poland. They've only um, they've met once in the World Cup before in the knockout stages back in 1982, and Poland went through 3-2 winners. Yeah, and I think that was a really big upset at the time as well from, from having seen uh, footage of that game. I was six years old at the time, so <laughs> <laughs> it was my first cup of that I can remember, but, but I, I don't recall seeing that game off the top of my head. But knowing that the French, you know, the French at the time were 1980 uh, Euro winners, uh, I think, or 1980. Well, I know that they were in contention for the Euros because Michel Platini was a... Uh, was, uh, uh, obviously a strong part of the French squad there. But let's move to the modern day. This French side, defending world champions, don't read too much into the game against Tunisia, given the amount of changes. They should be at full strength for this game. And Poland weren't that impressive against Argentina, to be fair. In fact, I think Australia played better against Argentina than what Poland did. So, yeah, I can see the French taking care of the Polish side and uh, Allez Le Bleu. 3-0. I can't disagree with you, really. And Poland were good against Mexico. They should have won that game. And they were pretty good against Saudi Arabia, even though the Saudis had a lot of the chances and a lot of the ball and Poland were able to hit them on the break. But that Argentina game is a big red flag for uh, their fortunes in this match against France because Argentina, as we know, a great team, much closer to the level of France than the other two matches for the Poles. And yes, I think they do come unstuck here. I can't... Surely, surely France takes care of them. Yes, we've had some upsets at this tournament. This would be a big one. And if Poland are able to spring a surprise, it'd be a massive shock. I think it'd be a shock even if it's close. If France struggle to get the win over Poland in this game, I do see a similar score under that 3-0 that you predicted. And then we move on to 6am, England against Senegal. They've never met before at any international tournament. And yes, this is a tight game. This is the one to watch. This is a more interesting game out of the two. And Senegal, they can spring the upset are they good enough to go out and deliver I think this is a banana skin game for England look there's no doubt that the English are strong favourites for the tournament Um, they're in the you know top four to take this out but this is the type of game that I can see um, stylistically posing a, a problem to England and the rigid structure that Southgate likes to follow because Senegal will be very fluid and they'll be looking to just play with you know with no pressure, play freely and um, you know, play with confidence. It's not a European opponent that England are familiar with. It's not a South American opponent that England would have done a lot of scouting on. This is an opponent that poses a problem for England. In particular, I think just uh, in midfield, I think England will win and I think they'll win 2-1. It may go to extra time, but um wouldn't surprise me if, Sen- if Senegal do a turn up for the books here and actually uh, knock out England. Every top quality team gets a banana skin game, you know, either in the round of 16 or quarter final and I think this is England's banana skin game. Yeah, Senegal are more likely to pull off the upset than Poland are for tomorrow's games. They've shown that they're good at soaking up pressure in the Ecuador match. They did hold out their own, yes, Ecuador scored, but for the most part, Senegal were fairly comfortable and Kaladu Koulibaly of course, getting on the score sheet and sealing the winner and setting up this match. I echo pretty much every point that you were saying that this is an unfamiliar opponent for England and in that 
alone. That requires a lot of work in the video. And Gareth Southgate, following the final group match, did say that he hadn't watched any of the Senegalese matches at that point. Now, since then, I'm sure they would have done a whole lot of video and a full tactics uh, detailing and uh, breakdowns and everything like that. They'll be ready for the game, of course. But three days preparation is not much for, for when it is a World Cup knockout game. And there is so much on the line. And all these teams, like we're talking about some uh, levels of uh, some differences between some teams' levels of quality, but overall, it's so tight amongst all the teams left in this tournament. And one mistake can cost you one mistake, and you're looking at an early exit, and that threat is there for England in this match, and Senegal can punish. If Sadio Mane was fit for this tournament and fit for this game, I think I would make Senegal slight favourites on that basis, that there is so much pace, and there would be so much quality in this team, no Mane, of course. So I'm not going to tip Senegal to go through, but they are going to make it very difficult for England. I will be thoroughly impressed if England are able to put a couple of goals past Senegal and ride it out and be comfortable. I'd be thoroughly impressed, and if that's the case, then fair enough. But I personally think the Senegal will make it very difficult. And I do agree with you, Laz. It might go to extra time. It might go all the way to penalties. And this is the game to watch tomorrow morning. If you're, if you're looking for an opportunity to catch up on your sleep, uh, perhaps the Poland-France game is the one that you could maybe catch up with uh, later on in the morning. Because from here on out, the rest of the round of 16 games are all really great matches. And they're all really close. And they're all going to be really entertaining. The France-Poland game on paper, at least, seems to be the old one out. But this one is well worth getting up for. Look, my concern about England is that South um, Southgate in the past has shown a reluctance to change things in game. And I think that this is the kind of game that might actually catch him out. Surely Marcus Rashford's in line for a start here. The same thing could be said about Phil Foden. Yeah. They're the things that concern me about this England side. I think it's more not the playing roster, the manager, and his unwillingness to change in game, which if I was an England supporter, I'd be concerned because if England happened to get past this hurdle, Who's to say that you know England will come up against a more fancied opponent because potentially France in the quarterfinal? And if you're not willing to change things up in game and have a plan A, B, C, D, and E, then you know England could be found wanting, and this potential uh, World Cup winning side uh, will go home empty-handed. Yeah, and maybe a potential quarterfinal against France would be more suited to the way the Gareth Southgate likes to set his teams up, but he can't sit off Senegal. They will have to dominate the game, dominate the possession, and create the chances. And I don't think this is the game for Harry Maguire. He will play, he will start, but this is not the game for him. And Because England have to be up the pitch here. They have to play in the same vein as they did against Iran and create chances, create goals. And if they do that, if they do play with the real, real vigor and swagger that they can, they will go and win this game. It's just whether they do stick with the, the same system that we saw in some of the matches and they sit off a little bit and they, they sit deeper, give up some of the possession. That's where Senegal can come into their own and they, they'll be presented with chances in this match. It's just whether they're good enough to take them on the day. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this game. Really looking forward to this game. I think Senegal can pull off the upset. It is there for them. I just, I think they might just fall short. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It will be a fascinating game, this one. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Nathan, thanks for for uh, joining us again today. I know it's been a big morning across the country and it's been a big morning for us individually as well. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went all the way through. I didn't sleep until 8 o'clock at full time. We're recording this a little bit later on in the day. Uh, give us a chance to have a little bit of a nap and collect our thoughts following the Socceroos game. Yes, it's been a big night and it's a pleasure to chat with you here, Lazarus, every morning on the back peg and uh, look forward to it tomorrow morning. Thank you very much to you listening out there as well. Uh, we appreciate all your feedback and all your interactions on the socials. 
uh, do keep it up. We greatly appreciate it. Stay tuned for tomorrow. And perhaps we're talking about a big story and a big tournament team going out. We can only see what will transpire tomorrow morning. Stay tuned. And uh, yes, once again, congratulations to the Socceroos and Australian football. Well done on a great tournament. And we look forward to seeing you back in the country and give you a bit of a hero's welcome. And I'll just echo those thoughts, Nathan. Thank you to the Socceroos. Thanks to everyone for listening. I've been Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gromos. Take care, all. 